Can I invite you to turn with me to the, to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, actually. As we prepare to receive God's word, I'll invite you to stand with me. Will you pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. Beginning here with verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and it credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give this land to take possession of it. But Abram, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over And the word of the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pit with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. May God add his blessing to that word. Please be seated. Well, if you've been with us these several weeks, we've been uh, talking about uh, commitment and the power of commitment in our life. And the truth is, if we were really honest this morning, we are afraid of commitment because we're afraid of being trapped. And yet commitment is where we experience identity. It is where we experience a sense of understanding and belonging and freedom and ultimately a better life. And yet, because there is this bent in me toward sin, truth is we aren't very good at making or at least keeping commitments. We make a commitment and then we fail. When I was a kid, and maybe you remember this too, we really, if we really wanted someone to believe us, to let them know that we were really seriously telling the truth, we'd say, I'm telling you the truth, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Remember that? Now, that's kind of gruesome. 
think about it. Who came up with that? If I'm not telling the truth, may bad things happen to me. And because we know that we are untrustworthy, we can project that onto God. We wonder, can I trust God? If I trust God with everything, is he going to hurt me? Can, can I trust God in my relationships? Can I trust God with my money? Can I trust God with my sexuality, with my time, my life, my death? Can I trust him with my children? In Genesis here, we see God intends to bless the world with a new redemptive movement, and he comes to a man named Abram. Later, he will become Abraham. But God says to Abram, Abram, I want you to be my guy. I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going to begin a new community with you. I'm going to bless you to such an extent that you, through you, I will bless the entire world. And I will give you a land, and I will show you, and will take you there and give you possession of it. So Abram is called to leave everything he knows, his family, his language, his culture. Abram is asked to do this great task, to leave it all for God. But Abram replies, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Now, if you think about that, there's an interesting tension in that statement. Abram acknowledges, you're sovereign Lord. He's in charge. He's got everything. He's in control. But he asks the question, can I really trust you? Can I really trust you? How do I know that I can trust you? How do I know that you're actually going to do what you say? How do I know that you're not going to hurt me? Now, if I was the sovereign Lord, I might be tempted to say, well, puny little man, how do I know that I can trust you? But God doesn't do that. God responds this way. He says, so the Lord said to Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and young pigeon. So Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. Now capture that image in your mind. What in the world is going on here? Well, in the ancient worldview, people were when they were ready to make a commitment, they would do what was called a covenant. Covenant is really just a word for a promise, but it's not your pinky swear kind of promise. It is a most solemn vow that binds people together who know each other. So you know me, you can trust me. I will do what I say based on our relationship with one another. Now, what, what, now notice here what's involved. It is in fact an oath of malediction. In other words, may something bad happen to me if I don't keep my word to you. So they would take the animals, cut them in half, put one half here, one half on the other side there. If you've ever gone into Starbucks and heard someone order a half calf, this is where they get that from. You know, uh, oh, that was bad, I realized. But the implication was, listen, if I don't keep my word to you, may the same thing that happened to these animals happen to me. 
Then together, the parties would take what was known as the covenant walk between these two sides of the line of animals. Now, I know this looks gruesome. It is bloody to us. In Hebrew, when they spoke of covenant, they said it this way. They said we would cut a covenant. Cross my heart. Hope to die. And someone owes me a gift card, I guess. Hey. <laughs> Cha-ching. Yeah. Uh. Now, some of you don't know that rule, but if I hear a cell phone go off, it's supposed to get me a gift card, but that's, that, we'll talk about that later. Now, a covenant, I want you to know a covenant is different than a contract. A covenant's different than a contract. A contract, that's a legal procedure that basically begins with the idea, I don't trust you, you don't trust me, so let's put it on paper to make sure we're on the same page. A contract is in essence based on mistrust. A covenant is different. It's based on trust. I know you. I love you. I trust you. You know, that's the difference between a marriage as covenant and a marriage as a contract. Yes, there are legal concerns when you get married, but marriage is not based on the legality of it. It's based on relationship. Marriage is a promise. It's based on trust and love and respect. It's a heart thing. So when you sign a contract with your cable company, that's not a heart thing, is it? If you get a better offer, you a covenant is for family. In a company, you covenant, you fire. In a family, you fire. Oh, here we go. I know Kevin's working on that. Should I just use this? Okay. In a family, you can't get fired. See, a family is built not just on the fact that a person is born, but when someone makes a promise. I'm your daddy. As long as you live, I will always be your dad. I don't care where you go or what you do. You can betray my values. You can turn your back on God. You can break my heart. You can spit in my face. I'll always be your dad. It's a heart thing. That's a covenant. So God comes to this little man, Abram, from nowhere and says, I will be your God. I will love you. I will walk with you. You can trust me. And by the way, this is what establishes Israel. They, they were always talking about God as the God of the covenant. They use that word more than 300 times in Scripture, and they would talk about how God was always making a covenant with his friend Abraham. And God made a covenant with Noah and then, on Mo, then with Moses on Mount Sinai and with David when God made him king. And, and you think about it, I, I kind of chuckle when God made the covenant with Noah. Remember that story. God gives him a sign. I promise I'll, I'll watch over you, God says, and won't ever flood the entire earth again. And the sign was the rainbow. Noah had to love that. Jen Martin took a beautiful picture last weekend at Camp Gideon at the youth retreat of the rainbow she saw there, and Noah just loved that. 
Then God said to the man Abram and said, I'm going to make a covenant with you and your people and I will give you a sign to remind you of the covenant we have together. And you remember that sign? Circumcision. That had to be a little bit disappointing to Abraham after Noah got the rainbow. We're not going to show you a picture of that, okay? Not going to go there. Notice here then that after this covenant is spoken about, we're expecting a covenant walk. But something strange happens. Ancient people would have known something's not quite right here. Listen to the words again. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pit with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He cuts a covenant with Abram. But what's wrong with this picture? The ancients who would have read this would have known immediately. Well, wait a second here. God takes the walk, but Abraham, he's on the side sleeping. God takes this walk alone. It's like God is saying, I'll do the covenant walk for both of us. If this covenant gets broken by either party, may the curse of the broken covenant fall on me and me alone. Cross my heart, hope to die. So how does this covenant get broken? It gets broken through disobedience. When God delivers the people of Israel from their bondage in Egypt, their slavery there, Moses, you'll remember, leads them to Mount Sinai. And God, in fact, renews his covenant with his people Moses comes down from the mountain, you'll remember, with two tablets. And by the way, in my mind, I always kind of thought that the two tablets meant that God put five of the commandments on one and the other five on the other, but really that's not what is occurring there. There were two tablets of the covenant because one, both parties needed a copy of the covenant. One belonged to the people of Israel, one belonged to, the, to God himself. And where did they store it? Where did they store those tablets? The Ark of the Covenant. Moses, the Bible says, reads the covenant to the people. And look what happens. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And, and, and that covenant is all about God's concern for his people, how much he loves them, and his best plan for them to, to prosper and do well and experience life. And the truth is they're grateful to hear that the God of the universe cares about them so much that he's willing to enter into a covenant relationship with them. And so they respond this way. They, they say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And by the way, that idea is not grudging. It's not the sense that, man, we've got all these rules that we've now got to follow. He's making me do this. It's not like that at all. It's, I want to give God my heart. I see what he's done for me. I want to do my very best for him. I will obey, the people say. And that sounds great. But how did they do? 
not so well. We fail. We mess up. We make excuses. We break our promises. This morning, maybe you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe it was some time ago. How are you doing? I was thinking this week, you know, I, I get hundreds of emails, probably like you do, from various sources every week in my inbox. But recently, I've been getting really tired of it. I actually bumped up against the limit that Google or Gmail allows me to have. So I said, man, I've got to change some things. I've got to do some things differently. And I suddenly remembered that at the very bottom of those emails, if I click on one word, it's supposed to do something. It's an incredible word. You know what word it is? Unsubscribe. Really important word. Really important. Never do this to a church email, by the way. But what a wonderful word, that word unsubscribe. But here's the thing. There are moments when it comes to my relationship with God, I really don't want to obey God when it comes to my sexual appetite or uh, his rules for uh, relating to my brothers and sisters, unsubscribe. I, I don't really want to be generous as he teaches us. Uh, unsubscribe. I don't really feel like praying. I don't feel like studying his word. Unsubscribe. Some of us have checked out. Now, Moses does something really kind of strange here. The Bible says, Moses then took the blood of the covenant, remember, animals die for this, and sprinkled it on the people. <laughs> Boy, I couldn't do that today. I'd lose my job in a heartbeat. But this is what it says. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. It's a reminder of the seriousness of this covenant. To break it means death. Something else has died for it. But eventually the people of Israel break the covenant. They disobey. They do it again and again and again. So God sends Israel prophets and they come along and they announce this. They say, Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. A new covenant. I'll make a new promise. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. God says they broke my heart. The picture there is of a bride and groom and the bride has just walked away. When a couple stands at an altar, the pastor used to say, does anyone know of any reason why this woman should not be married to this man? They always have that line in movies, if you've noticed, but, but rarely do pastors ask that anymore. Does anyone have any reason why this woman should not be to this man 
Well, the truth is, yes, I do. I do, because both he and she are like me. And, and my heart is corrupt with my pride and my foolishness and my selfishness and my ego. I mess things up. I am not very good at promises. And so God says, I'm going to make a new covenant, but not like the old one. That got broken. It broke my heart. I tried to take these people by the hand and they broke my heart. They failed every time. And then one day, he sends Jesus. Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, comes into the world. The people couldn't fulfill their part of the bargain. But Jesus comes and he obeys the Father perfectly. He loves and gives and knows the Father. He is the fullness of everything we should be and fail to be. He does what I can't do. And remember the people looked at him and they said, we need to get rid of him. Let's crucify him. And so on the night before he would take a walk where his body would be brutalized and bloodied, he gathered his friends together. He sat them around a table and he poured out a cup of wine. And this is what he said. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now you see the connection. He's quoting Moses here. This is the blood of the covenant. And Jesus says, it's my blood. I'll pay the price. I'll take the covenant walk. And so he pays the price for the old covenant that was broken. And in coming, he gives us a new one. One not based on our righteousness, but his. We are blessed not because we are good, but because he is good. Next Sunday, I'm asking us as a congregation to consider, out, consider filling out the commitment card. You have one in your bulletin for our generation's campaign. I just think that's easier. When I begin to contemplate his commitment to me, what he's done for me. Indeed, that story involves generation and generation and generations of people. This covenant will continue on for generations to come as long as Jesus tarries. But that's not today. Today, I'm asking you to renew your covenant with Christ. For God says in Ezekiel 36, in that day, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, he wants your whole heart. He wants a heart like his own for you. With God having been so good to you, 
have you given your all to him? Is there anything you're holding back? Any, any secret sin? Any grudge you decided to hold? Do you give him your time, your future, your attention? God has before you today a covenant. He fulfills every part of it. And all you have to do is accept it, receive it, and with your whole heart say, Jesus, I'm yours because you have given your all to me. I can trust you with my whole heart. Father, I pray right now that we would just bask in your grace. You've done it all for us. Both sides of the covenant are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And as we embrace this new covenant, even this morning as we prepare to come to the table, we know it's a gift of your grace and we say thank you. Let's stand and sing. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was smeared.
you'd like to do a, a short liturgy, I'd like you to join me in this. I'll be the leader, and you will be the family. What right do we have to dine at the table of Jesus? What gives us this right? We have this right because Jesus came not for the strong, but for the weak, not for the righteous, but for sinners, not for the self-sufficient, but for those who know they need rescue, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who are weak and frail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior. Jesus welcomes into his circle, adopts into his family, and reserves a place at his table. For he is the mighty friend of sinners, the ally of those distraught, the defender of the indefensible, and the justifier of those who have no excuse left. We come to the table because we've been invited. We come in faith. 